the BBC Essex Gardening Hour. This is BBC Essex. Hello, I'm Jeff Hodge, in for Ken Crowther, and this is the BBC Essex Gardening Hour podcast. Don't forget, you can subscribe to this podcast on BBC Sounds. This week I'm taking your calls on everything from plums, brooms and purple roses. We've also got some tips of things you can be getting on within the garden, plus our plant of the week. So we go straight to your calls, and this week we start with Liz from Stansted. Good morning. How can we help you? Um, yes, it's valerian, the um, wildflower. Valerian, yes. Yeah. Now, is it poisonous to birds, butterflies and bees? Uh, no, absolutely not. No, uh, valerian is uh, much loved. Certainly, uh, I've got some growing in my garden. The birds, um, well, the birds don't really do much to it. They certainly don't uh, tend to no. eat it. But no, uh, it's the other bees, two, isn't it? Bees and butterflies love the nectar. So oh, that's no. all right for them. Oh. Yeah, absolutely. No, uh, oh. it's, it's uh, one that's often recommended and encouraged for both uh, birds, bees, and, and other pollinating insects. So no, it's great. Oh, it's great for our wildflowers. It's great for our wildlife. Oh, lovely. Oh, well, thank you very much. Only I didn't have much in the garden last year, so I wondered if it was that. No, not, no. Not well, any I, little friends I didn't come we, in. I think we can probably put down anything that happened weirdly uh, last year, down, mostly down to the weird weather we had. Oh, maybe that was it then, yeah. So, so now you'll be fine. Just All right, make, lovely. Just, well, thank you very much for ringing back. No worries. And just make sure you don't allow the thing to get out of control, because once it starts seeding everywhere, it will get everywhere. So, um, you know, make sure that you uh, you cut it back after flowering to keep it in hand. OK, so now we're going to move on to... Uh, where are we going to go next? We're going to go to Holland-on-Sea. How lovely. And we're going to talk to Janet. Good morning, Janet. Hello, Jeff. Um, it's about sweet peas. Okay. Um, this is the second year that I've managed to germinate quite a few plants in my conservatory. Brilliant. Right. I've got them up to the stage of the first two leaves. Yep. And if I remember rightly from last year, you have to pinch those two out to make the uh, plants more bushier. Yeah. I mean, how, how tall are they at the moment, Janet? They're about four or five inches. Oh, perfect. Yeah, you, you've you've hit the nail firmly on the head. Yes, once they get to that sort of size, I mean, you don't have to pinch the the tips out if you don't want to, but it's a good idea because yeah. basically what yeah, that I does, don't want them leggy, do I? No, you don't. You want them bushy, 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 and the bushier they are, the more stems they have, and guess what that means? Lots uh, more, more flowers. flowers. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Well, I've done the stage of the uh, tipping out of the top two leaves. Yeah. But they still seem to be going upwards, and I think, well, they're going to bend over every, you know, well, you, before you can, too long. You can um, pinch them out again. What do I do now? Well, you can pinch them out again if you want to. Oh, you but, can? Oh, yeah, yeah. I mean, uh, whenever you pinch out the tips of any plant, um, it, it makes them bushier. It does slightly delay the flowering, depending on when you do it. So it might delay it by a, a week or so in the, in oh, the summer. Oh, really? Well, you say it's in your conservatory. Yeah, they're in the conservatory in three-inch spots. Does, does it get good light? Yes, very good. OK, because normally when things indoors get too tall and spindly, it's usually because either there's not enough light or it's too hot. or It faces south. Yeah, I'm just and, wondering. Uh, when they've been bending over, I've yep. actually been turning the whole tray round. Yeah, well, that's, that's a good idea. You can also put little pea sticks in to, to give them some support and tie them in gently. Oh, you can? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Now, I think that's a better idea. 
Um, and it, I'm just wondering whether it might be a little bit too hot for them. So um, turn your heat, save yourself a couple of quid and turn the heating down inside there. OK, right. Thanks very much. No worries, Janet. Thank you very much for your call. Uh, where are we going to move to now? We're going to move on to Rayleigh and we're going to talk to John. Hello, John. Morning, mate. How are you doing? Uh, not too bad. I've got a problem with some tomato seeds. All right. Fine seeds like begonias and petunias, so I've always had problems with can't get them. But tomato seeds, I always call them weeds of the family. They just grow like anything. Yep. I bought some in September from a very well-known company. OK, don't mention their name, but yes, uh, carry on. And uh, I've grown them or put them in the pot and that nothing's happened to them. OK, when did you put them in, John? Well, it says put them in January to March. Yeah, sorry, how long, how, how long ago did you do it? Oh, this is the fourth week. Oh, blimey. And where have you got the pots? Are they in a propagator or...? They're sitting in a propagator in my lounge. OK, well, that's a, that is unusual. We just get warm all the time. Yeah, well, certainly indoors and certainly in a propagator, they, they should be quite quite the right temperature. Definitely no signs of any um, any growth Nothing at all. Nothing whatsoever. I've been on to the company. OK. They stay there, find me back. Yeah. Four times I've phoned them up. They never come back. I phoned them up last Saturday, and the girl said they're not in today for that office. They will phone me up on Tuesday. They never come in. We've uh, texted them. I sent them an email, so I sent them an email, <coughs> and they still haven't come back to us. Well, that uh, that doesn't sound good and uh, very good uh, customer support, does it? No, it's got a, in in their catalogue. Yeah, it's got hundred percent guaranteed satisfaction. Satisfaction guaranteed. Sounds like sadly, John. It sounds like you might have to sort of keep at it. Um... Well, they're all gone now. Sewed them all on. Oh, okay. No, but I mean, you keep keep at it with the company. <laughs> Just so well, carry, carry, if they don't come back, how much money do you want to spend on phone calls? Well, absolutely. It yeah. must cost me as much as phone calls as done for the seats. Well, and of course, the other problem is that you've now lost faith in them. They're not going to get your money, uh, uh, any no, money off you ever again, are they? Back to them at all, now. all right, John, we're well, terribly sorry to hear that. Um, sometimes these things happen, but hey-ho. OK, so we're moving on to uh, Harlow, just down the road, to Eve. Good Hello, morning, Eve. Jeff. Good morning. I understand you've got a Christmas plant. Yes, it's um, a stem of a poinsettia. A poinsettia, OK. And I put it in uh, water yep. and the roots are growing from it. OK, yeah. Also, little green leaves, you know, sprouting up the stem. Yeah. Um, what is the next step, do you think? OK, have they developed a, a, a reasonable amount of roots, do you think? Or is it just, yeah. some, just one or two? No, it's, it's quite good, you know, quite good roots. OK, well, all you now need to do is to pot it up into a smallish pot of good potting compost. Um, I'd probably be looking at maybe a three to a four inch pot. Uh-huh. And, and, and what uh, what potting compost should I use? Well, to be John perfect. Uh, no, I, 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 there shouldn't be any need to use a John Innes. Any, any really good multi-purpose compost or a potting compost would be good. Oh, good. good, just, good. just be aware that whenever you root plants in water... Like like you've done, they produce quite brittle roots. So uh -huh. when so when you pot it up, you know, just be careful how you sort of put the compost in and around the roots because they they can be more prone to snapping off than your your sort of standard roots produced in compost. Oh, 
Thank you very much for your help. No worries. And then just just go right on for a little bit. And very soon you'll be getting a lovely poinsettia for next Christmas. All right. So, John, we're going to move on to John, who is in Brentford. Look, John, I think you've got, is that a laurel hedge you've got? Yeah. Morning, Jeff. I hope uh, Ken's not ill. No, no, no. He's, um, ah. I, 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 if I dare say, he's having, he's having some time off. Bless him. Ah, yeah, fair enough. I'll no, no, thought. he's he's in perfect. He's, he's yeah. perfectly fit. Right. I've got an out. A neighbour of mine has got an out to control laurel hedge. It's about eighteen foot high or more. Oh wow! Okay. And about six foot deep, and then we started chopping it away. Now, I was going to take it down to the. Um, to the stumps and try and get them out and I've read up on it and apparently the tap roots and the root system is with a with a hedge that high is tremendous and even if you manage to get the stump out uh, you still will get the roots um, sending suckers out now would it be better want some advice on this would it be better to chop it down to um, about three feet high and, um, you know, um, a couple of feet wide and and letting it grow back up to, say, four feet or five feet so we can get control of it rather than try and grub everything out and still have it coming through. Well, what what do you ideally want to do, John? Do you want to try and renovate it and, no, and keep really, it? No, really, we would have liked it out. You want it out. OK, so what I recommend you do, the roots don't, um, you know, once once you've got the, the stumps out, the roots aren't going to regrow, so there's no, no need to worry about that. And oh, they, right. and, and I mean, yeah, they go down a fair way, but they, <laughs> you're not going to have to dig down to Australia to get them out at all. Um, the, the, whenever you take any large plant out, the best way to do it is to cut it down to about four foot, four foot, five foot high. Yeah. OK, so that you've got a trunk. Presumably it's got a reasonable sized sort of uh, fairly mature trunk because you can then use that trunk as a lever. Most people cut the cut the trees or whatever right down to ground level, yeah. and, th- and then all they can do is dig the thing out. If yeah. you leave it four to five foot high, you've got this lever that, with digging around with a pickaxe or a spade to mm. loosen the soil and loosen the roots, you've got a lever that you can push back and forth to mm. wig to wiggle the thing out. Yeah, and that'll be a lot easier. And once you've got once you've got that out, that's it. That's the end of it. Oh, so those roots won't. I. I... No, the roots. The roots of no, the roots of laurel won't regrow. Once you've got the main trunk out, that's it. The roots will just rot uh-huh. away as in, as anything else. Don't worry about that. See, these trunks are right close to the ground. They're getting on for two foot in, in round the circumference. All oh, right, so those are big. Well, then that'll give you something quite substantial to grab hold of to 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 rock back and forth to get them out. So that's the best way of doing it. Oh right, okay. Thank you very much. No worries. So, my plant of the week are the snowflakes. No, I'm not referring to the derogatory slang term for some of the youth of today, but leucogium, a glorious spring flowering bulb. These usually flower from March to May, although, thanks to the mild winter at the moment, some are flowering now. They're often confused with snowdrops, but they have more rounded, bell-shaped flowers with six petals all the same length with either yellow or green spots at the tips of the petals. Leucogium vernum is the spring snowflake, flowering March and growing up to, well, around about 20 centimetres, that's 8 inches high. 
Leucogium easterum, confusingly called the summer snowflake, flowers from about April to May. It has larger flowers, up to 2.5 centimetres, that's one inch long. And there's also a variety called Grave Tie Giant, which, as its name suggests, has even larger flowers, up to four centimetres, one and a half inches long. It's also more stately and taller than the spring snowflake, reaching a height of up to, well, 60 centimetres, two feet. Leucogiums are usually trouble-free, but to get the best from your snowflakes, they need a good, humus-rich, moisture-retentive soil in either sun or even light shade. Both look great in beds, borders and even containers, as well as naturalising in moist soiling grass or for moist pockets on rock gardens. The summer snowflake really thrives in moist, heavy soil, so it's excellent for most of Essex and is even tolerant of waterlogged conditions and looks great when planted next to ponds and other water features. And once planted, snowflakes are dead easy to look after. Ideally, like most spring flowering bulbs, after flowering, remove the faded flowers and the developing seed pods behind them, unless you want them to self-seed. And allow the foliage to die back naturally before removing it. If flowering starts to reduce, or you just want to make some more clumps, divide large established clumps after flowering. But just be aware that leucogiums can take a while to become fully established and are best left undisturbed. So only divide the clumps when absolutely necessary. And there's also an autumn snowflake, which used to be known as Leucogium autumnale, but is now renamed Achis autumnalis, and that flowers in late summer and autumn. So look out for potted plants in garden centres and nurseries now, or remember to plant the bulbs in autumn. So that's this edition of the podcast's Plant of the Week, Snowflakes. OK, so we're going to go back to the phones, because they are really busy at the moment, and we're going to start off with Pat from Langdon. Hello, Pat. Hello. How are you doing? Yeah, fine, thank you. How can um, we help you this lovely morning? Well, my question is, um, I've got a lovely amaryllis. Um, it's a deep, dark red with four flowers at the top of it. Sounds and good. And I wondered how and if I can keep it to grow on again once it's finished flowering. Yes, of course you can. Amaryllis are, are really long-lived bulbs. So as long as you look after it properly from now on, you'll get it flowering again this time next year. No, so, how do I do that? Okay, so what you need to do is um, just keep watering and feeding as as required while it's in flower. Right. And then when the flowers fade, you you remove the flowers and you'll find a lump behind, which is the developing seed pod. So you need to take the flower and the developing seed pod off. So just cut that off. Leave the flower stem in place and all the leaves in place. And then just keep watering as necessary and feeding perhaps once every fortnight with a liquid feed. Oh, I just leave it in the pot? Yep. You, oh, the right. idea is that you need to build up its strength because it's going to start producing its flower buds for next year after it flowers this year. So oh, keep, okay. it, <coughs> keep it growing for as long as possible. In time, you should notice that the leaves will start to turn yellow and they'll start to die back. At which point, stop watering, stop feeding, and just allow it to the, the leaves to die back and allow it to go dormant. 
and then, fine. And, then you, and then you can leave it in that pot. You can put it in a dark cupboard or a shed or wherever you want to over the summer. And then in the autumn, bring it back out, start a little bit of watering and it will start to come back into growth again. Oh, thank you very much. It's as easy as that. OK, so we're going to move on to Keith. Keith's in Benfleet. Uh, pruning, is that right, Keith? You got a, a pruning question? Sorry, not um, Keith. It, it's, it's Kath. Kath. It's Kath. Yeah. I need to get my glasses. Right. I need to get my glasses changed, Kath. <laughs> How can we help? Um, yeah, I've got a Granny Smith apple tree, and I'm not sure when the time is to prune it. Okay, how how old is is the Granny Smith? Um, probably about fifteen, twenty years old. Okay, um, did it fruit well last year? Does it fruit well regularly? It does normally. I didn't get much off of it last this like, yeah last year. But. Okay, that might have been due to weather rather than anything else. The the, the problem yeah. with with pruning fruit trees is that unless they really really need it, it's far better to just to leave them well alone. Um, okay. Otherwise, what you do is that you you cause the tree to produce lots of thin growth, and that can take three, four, five years to get back into to flowering and fruiting. Oh, right. You you kind of upset okay. it. You upset the poor little thing, and it doesn't like it. Oh right. So um, um, unless you really have to, I'd put I'd leave the secateurs in the drawer and, and I'd leave it to get on with its own devices. Unless you've got any um, dead or diseased or dying growth, if there are any branches that are a bit too low and you bang your head on them underneath when you when you're mowing, um, it's usually best just left well alone. OK. And what about a green gauge? All right. Well, green gauges, again, I mean, any any sort of things like a green gauge or a plum are best left, totally left alone. However, if you are going to do pruning, that has to be done in the summer. The apples and okay. pears you can do in the winter, but anything that has a, a stone fruit, anything that produces a stone has to be done in the summer. So we're talking sort of May through to about the end of August. OK, that's lovely. There Thank we go. I've, I've, sa much. I've saved you a job. You can you can relax this weekend now. All right, we're moving on to Paul. Paul's in Whiteham. Good morning, Paul. How can we help you? Hello. That, that's, that's pronounced Whitham. Sorry, Whitham. <laughs> well, I'm, not, I'm not local, Paul. I'm from up north. <laughs> um, I'd ask you about take hardwood um, rose cuttings. OK, yeah. I've done it before about three or four years ago, but I can't remember. I was reading on it last night, and I've got some about seven, eight, nine inches long. OK. And they've got three or four buds down the stem. Yeah. Do, do I leave them buds on or take them off? So these are cuttings that you've already taken. Yeah, and I got them just. Yeah, and I was going to do them today. You know. And... No, the, the the buds will be the leaf buds. Yeah, because I remember I was reading somewhere, and I'm sure it said talk about cutting them off and sort of put wax over them. No, no, not on not necessary on roses. Those those buds that you've got there are the leaf buds, and the and the cutting will need to produce those leaf buds. I just wondered if there was buds on whether it would try to get growth to the buds instead of putting root roots underneath well know? it's gonna it's gonna stop it's gonna start putting uh, growth on now anyway i oh, know i know i'm a bit late but i thought i'd have a go yeah the best time to do um, hardwood cuttings is usually sort of november yeah. time so well, i'll have a go i had to do a bit of pruning yesterday thought i'll have a go well, no, have, absolutely have a go but uh, no yeah. don't just just take the cutting cut it yeah. uh, at the bottom below a bud at the yeah. top above a bud shove it in the soil give it a good yeah. watering and and hopefully oh, within a year's mixture time of compost and sand some like that grit yeah, it's always a good idea to put a bit of sand or sh uh, uh, shop sand or grit at the base of the cutting. That'll help. OK. And, and it should root and you should have some new plants by um, this time next year. Thank you very much. No problem at all. There we go. That's Paul. 
Uh, we are now going to move on to Phyllis. Phyllis is in Wivenhoe. Yes, morning, hello. Phyllis. Good, yeah, good morning. How can um, we help I you? I've had a bare root, and I can't pronounce this. Okay. It's a sarcoca car, which is a sweet box. <laughs> that, that's a, that's, a, that's a, good, a good attempt, Phyllis. Um, well, not, can I put it in the ground today? Well, yes, of course you can, yeah. The only thing that would stop you planting in the ground at this time of year is if the, if the soil is frozen solid to the depth of the, of the root ball, which obviously I don't think it will be because we've had some lovely mild weather, or yeah. it's waterlogged. Well, it's going to go in a very large pot. Huge. Okay. Yeah. Oh no. Pot. Pot's good. Yeah. Definitely put it into a pot. All and put right. It, and put okay. it by the back. Put it by the back door or the front door or wherever you sit in the winter because the smell of sarka cocker is absolutely yes. gorgeous. It's going to go near my front door. Perfect. Well, I'll go out and do that now then. Okay. Thank you. Enjoy. Have fun. Okay. We're now going to move on to Pat. Pat is in Kirby Cross and uh, what? What can we help you with, Pat? Oh, good morning. Um, my daughter's asked if I could find her a purple rose. Do you know of anyone that does a purple rose, or if there is such a thing? Oh, well, there are a few um, reasonably deep purple roses. Um, oh, I think even if you go to a really good garden centre, you should find one. But there are obviously some specialist nurseries. Right. Um, there's quite a few in the area. You know, you've got Peter Beals up in Norfolk that does some really beautiful roses. Right. David Austin. Uh, you've got Cants of Colchester. So there's, there's quite a few um, brilliant rose growers in the area. Right. And, and there is a purple rose. We don't have a name of one in it at all. I, I'm just trying to think of what uh, a couple of names, but no, nothing comes to my mind at the moment. But no, if you just go and ask, go to a, go to a really good um, stockist, tell them what you want. Or right. If you, or if you've got internet access, you know, you could always sort of just Google purple rose and uh, a load would come up in the images. Yes, I, I have tried that, but there don't seem to be anything that's actually purple. But uh, perhaps there is no such thing as a purple. Well, you're not, you're not going to get a deep purple. You're, most of them, because there isn't that sort of colour, there isn't sort of blue in roses, so you're not no. going to get a good deep purple. But you no, are, you no. are going to get some, there are some good light purple ones. Right. Okay, thanks so much for help. All right, enjoy. Hopefully that'll uh, bring some joy to, to the garden. Okay, so we've now got Rose. Rose is from Southend. How can we help you, Rose? Hi, Jeb. Last year I, I had plenty of both cherries and plums. Okay. Uh, but I haven't eaten uh, any of, the, of it because uh, uh, all of it has got uh, maggots inside. Oh, okay. Uh, is it all right to, uh, because they are in bloom, uh, no, not in bloom, in buds now, is it all right to uh, spray it? Okay, what if you if you have maggots in things like plums, it is called the plimp the plimp. It's called the pink plum maggot, um, and it, and it's quite it's reasonably common. So you've got two ways of controlling that. If you don't mind using an insecticide, you can spray, but it will have no effect doing it now. You have to do the timing uh, crucially. Um, and you have to do it just as the flowers fade. So the flowers have opened yeah. and then and then as they fade, you spray the first time and then the second time is two weeks after that. Spraying oh, it now will, will have no effect whatsoever. Oh, I see. Or your oh. other option is that you can get um, a, a, what's called a pheromone trap 
which is a, a hormone trap that, uh, yeah. att- att- that attracts the male moths and they get stuck on a sticky pad so they can't uh, fertilize the females. But again, a bit early for that. You would normally start hanging those out in the tree in about April time. So I cannot spray them while it's in bud. Well, you could spraying now will have absolutely no effect. The the moths aren't anywhere on the tree, oh, I so see. you yeah. the only time you start spraying is after the flowers have faded. Yeah, yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah. Thank you very much. Okay. No problem. Thank you. All right, let's have a quick look at some of the texts that we've had in as well. So uh, um, this one is from David in Fearing. He says, when is the best time to trim an overgrown laurel and for tinnias? Okay, I would say the best time to do laurel is, uh, I certainly wouldn't be doing it now. I would wait until we start to see some fresh new growth appearing, probably in April or May. And that's when you can do that. Um, as for the fatinias, well, obviously, as they put on their new growth, we do get an awful lot of that fabulous red colouring, which is what uh, fatinias are mainly grown for. So I wouldn't be doing it until that display is over. You might as well enjoy the display before you start chopping the bits off that have got that display on. So again, you could leave that for a bit later, or you can do fatinias in late autumn and also in uh, winter. So hopefully that's helped David. Who have we got here? This is another one. This is Carol from Rayleigh. She has also sent a text in to 8133 using the word Essex before her message. Um, and she said she has uh, sprouting bulbs and she's continually... Con- sorry, have had sprouting bulbs continually dug up in my front garden, I see. Well, usually one or two at a time. Do you think it's foxes and what deterrent can I use, please? OK, Carol, um, yes, it could be foxes. Foxes um, have been known to dig up bulbs uh, that are coming through the ground. The other thing that does them, uh, there's quite a lot of damage to planted bulbs are um, squirrels. So squirrels absolutely adore planted bulbs. I would say the best way to stop and deter whatever it is that's doing it um, is to use chicken wire. Now, it's usually best to do this when uh, you are actually planting the bulbs. Uh, Obviously, as yours are sprouting now, this is going to be a little bit difficult. Um, Usually what I recommend is that, you know, you dig your planting hole, you put your bulbs in and then about two inches above the depth of the bulb or the top of the bulb, you put in a piece of reasonably fine mesh chicken wire making sure that that's about an inch and a half below the soil surface. So you don't see it. It's buried. It's totally out of the way. Um, and as the uh, whatever the animal is, as it starts to scratch down to try and get at the bulbs, it hits the chicken wire and then obviously can't get at the bulbs. Um, the, uh, if you want to try and do something now, um, maybe putting chicken wire over the top um, as a sort of a dome, that might well help. Um, there are some sort of smelly chemical deterrents on the market, but to be perfectly honest, they're, they're not that successful. Um, and you have to sort of repeat them on a, on a regular basis. But hopefully that will help. Um, and I see that we are back onto the phone lines. So we are going to talk to John from Waltham Abbey. Hello, John. How can we help you? Good morning, Jeff. Um, it's a, I'm calling actually about the uh, lady that phoned in about her deep red amaryllis. Yeah. Uh, and you said to about when the leaves go yellow. Yep. Um, well, I've got a deep red one that was first bought for my mum in 1994. Yep. It flowers every year, but it has never, the it's, leaves have never gone never, yellow. <laughs> and uh, the flowering cycle is March. Yeah. And it's going to flower again this March. It's uh, on the way now. Um, what I do is 
I cut the leaves right off to the base at the end of October. Yeah. Shove it in the dark till New Year and then repot it. John, I am so glad that you phoned up because you're, you're absolutely right. The vast majority of amaryllis, uh, they start to die down, as, as I said. But there are one or two that um, will always just keep their leaves on green. And there were so many calls that we had in. I thought, I can't go on and, and carry on with this answer. I've got to move to another caller. Um, so you've actually come in and saved my bacon. Because you've, cause you've, cause you've <laughs> given sure the other option. But, so I thought, as you said, it was a deep red one. I thought... It was worth mentioning. Yeah, it's it's usually more to do with the growing conditions than than the variety. But yes, right. so, so thank you very much. You you've answered or you've added to our answer, which is what we w always want here on BBC Essex. We want people to give their hints and tips and advice, as well as not uh, not necessarily just phoning up about an issue or a problem. So if your snowdrops have been growing in the same soil for several years and haven't flowered well this year, then now's a good idea to do something about it. Carefully lift the bulbs when they're still in leaf, or as it's called, in the green, without damaging the roots too much. Split the clumps into smaller sections and replant at the same depth in soil that has been improved with lots of organic matter, such as homemade compost, well-rotted manure or planting compost. Then water them in well, adding a liquid feed to the water. Dry snowdrop bulbs planted in autumn often fail to grow or don't perform well because they've dried out too much. Growing snowdrops from plants and planting when flowering is finished but they're still in leaf is usually a much better bet. Or buy potted plants. Plants sold in the green are often freshly dug up so it's vital to water them in well as soon as they're planted. And in the veg garden, at this time of year, there's an almost irresistible urge to start sowing seeds. But unless your soil is very well drained and you live in a sheltered mild district, it's far better to wait until March or even April. Most vegetable seeds that are sown outside in spring won't germinate until the soil temperature reaches 7 Celsius, that's 45 Fahrenheit. And if sown in cold soil, they'll simply just rot. But if you want to get an early start to seed sowing, you can cover your beds with cloches or sheets of clear polythene. This warms the soil, keeps those clay soils from getting too soggy during the wet weather and encourages weeds to germinate. And then these weeds can be dealt with before sowing to produce a weed-free veg bed. The BBC Essex Gardening Hour. This is BBC Essex. Okay, so should we just have a quick look at some more texts? So, um, uh, let's see, this one comes from Chris in Blackheath, Colchester. He says, I've noticed a few people are moving their grass. Oh, oh sorry. <laughs> it says moving. Of course, we, we all know that should be mowing. Uh, so they're mowing their grass. Is it okay to cut it in February? I've never done it this early, although mine is growing. OK, Chris, um, one of the questions that we often get asked is, you know, when do I stop mowing in the autumn and when do I start mowing in the spring? And the answer is you never stop, which means that you never have to start. Um, the greenkeepers, you know, anybody that professionally looks after turf never stops mowing their grass. Whenever it is growing, you cut it. So the ideal is um, that you should never be cutting huge chunks off the lawn. You should always just be taking the tips off. 
um, and grass will grow at a temperature of five centigrade or above. So unless you've had, you know, days and days of really cold freezing below or near freezing weather, your grass is going to carry on growing. And if it grows, you should carry on cutting it. So, yes, I would definitely be mowing my lawn. I'm sorry. Uh, I'm sorry, Chris, to give you a job to do this weekend. But yes. And obviously, with when we are getting milder winters and possibly climate change is coming in, then we will probably be mowing our lawns all year round. OK, we've still got a few more uh, questions coming in on the text. But just to remind everybody, if you do have a gardening question, if there is something that is really irking you, if you want to just tell us what's going on or probably more likely what's going wrong in your garden, then don't forget to give us a call. Here on BBC Essex, you can call me on 0800 111 or as quite a few people have done this morning, you can send me a text. You just simply put the numbers 8133, send it to 81333 and put the word Essex in front of your text message. That'll come straight into the studio. I can read it off the screen. Uh, hopefully I can read it off the screen anyway. OK, so we're going to move on and we're going to talk uh, to Francis. Well, I'm not going to talk to her. We're going to read out her text. This is Francis from Holland-on-Sea. And she has bought some Jerusalem artichokes. Oh, I love Jerusalem artichokes, uh, which are already shooting. <laughs> when do I plant them? Uh, well, I think, Francis, you probably know the answer to that question already. When do I plant them now? Get them in the ground as soon as possible because they're shooting. Um, ideally, when you uh, when you buy Jerusalem artichokes, we tend to buy them in the sort of autumn and winter. And obviously, because it's quite cold, then they're dormant. So you can put them straight into the ground. Um, but as, if they start shooting, then you do need to get them in as soon as possible. Obviously, plant them you know reasonably carefully because you don't want to knock those shoots off while you're sort of digging uh, digging them in and planting them. Um, and how do you care for them? Well, one of the great things, Francis, about uh, Jerusalem artichokes is that they need very, very, very little in the way of care and attention. Um, providing you've put them in some reasonably decent soil, you know, it doesn't have to be the you know the best soil that you can you can find. They'll grow in quite poor conditions. As long as you can get them in um, and then water them in, perhaps a little bit of fertilizer, you know, a little bit of grow more or some granular fertilizer over the soil after planting, water them in. Um, and literally, <laughs> that's it. Just leave them to get on with things until uh, you're ready to lift them up in the autumn to, to harvest the, the, the new tubers, the new roots. Um, they are a great, they do grow quite tall. So just be careful that, you know, you can get them up to sort of five, maybe even six feet high which means that um, you know you don't want to put them too close to anything that's uh, that they could shade or they could uh, um, crowd out. Um, on my allotment, they're right at the back, um, so I actually use them as a as a bit of a windbreak because um, they're tough as old boots and they'll 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 grow through just about anything that uh, comes its way. Um, okay, hopefully that's um, that's Francis and her Jerusalem artichoke sorted out. We can have another one. We've got another quick question here that's coming from Jill on the text. And Jill is in Canvey Island. And she says, good morning. Is it OK to prune roses now? They are Floribunda and hybrid tea varieties. They were pruned lightly last October. Well, Jill, sounds like you've done exactly what you should have done. You gave them a little light tipping back last autumn. And... Um, that's usually what a lot of people do. You shouldn't do any hard pruning in the autumn, but you can tip them back simply just to um, uh, reduce the amount of stems they've got, it's particularly if you live in a in a windy area. Maybe if you're in quite windy on Canvey Island, always a good idea to tip them back so you don't get root rock. Um, and if you get root rock, then there can be a problem. 
But yes, the main, what we call formative pruning on bush roses, that's floribundas and hybrid teas, we do now. Um, I usually wait until I can see signs of growth. As soon as I start to see that the, um, the buds have just about started to shoot, that's when I will normally start pruning. It, normally what's recommended is you know, late February, early March. And do it hard. You know, um, I don't know if you, if you did physics at school, Jill, but there were, <laughs> there's a law of physics that says for every action, there's an equal and opposite reaction. And when you uh, apply that to pruning, the harder you prune something, the stronger it grows back. And um, I'm normally pruning hybrids back down to uh, anything from four to six inches. That's, you know, that's the step from where they, they join the main part of the plant. Slightly less harsh on floribundas, normally six to nine inches. But, you know, don't just mess about at the top of the plant. Go right to the bottom of the plant and tip those out. So hopefully that's helped you and hopefully that's helped everybody that's growing fabulous roses in their gardens. All right, so that's the end of the, uh, the, the text we have at the moment. Obviously, if you have a question that you want to send through to us on text... Send it to 81333. Just put the word Essex in front of your message. However, I would much rather speak to you direct. Come on, have a come and have a come on and have a chat. And if you want to have a chat about your garden, about your plants, anything that's going on, give us a ring on 0800 41. Now, because Ken's away this uh, this weekend, um, we've managed to um, sneak into his computer and we found a few emails that people have sent through during the week. And of course, when Ken is back and he'll be back next Saturday, that's a great way of, you know, if something comes up in the middle of the week and you think, oh, I tell you what, I need to I need to ask Ken that question. To make sure that you don't forget to phone in or text on Saturday, then you can always send your text to ken.crowther at bbc.co.uk. That'll be sitting waiting for Ken when he comes in next Saturday. And of course, he'll be more than happy to help you and answer your questions that way. So I'm just going to, um, uh, as I said, as we've rifled through his inbox earlier this morning, I've got a few questions that I've got in front of me that I'm going to answer. So the first one that was uh, emailed through to Ken came from Donna Blackman. And Donna is asking about Acer pruning and she's sent in a fabulous photo. If you are asking questions about plants and you can send in photos, it's a great thing to send them in. Because sometimes, you know, we can't really see what's going on in your gardens. If we can see a photo of a plant, it's a lot easier to find out what's, uh, what's going on and what we need to answer. So um, Donna's question is, uh, she says, Hi, Ken, I, li I live near Brentwood and I have an amazing Acer. And I can tell you that photo is an amazing Acer. Uh, and she says it needs a bit of a trim. Am I too late to do it now? OK, Donna, you're, you're in the sort of twilight zone, I have to say, on this one. Uh, the best time to prune uh, Japanese maples or aces is during the winter, sort of December, January, when they are completely dormant. Um, if you start to prune them or you do the main pruning when they are in full growth or they've got leaf on them, then they can bleed from the tips uh, or the, the, the cut ends that you create, which obviously can weaken the plant and in some severe instances could cause them to die back. So um, if it's in leaf, if it's producing a lot of leaf, I think you have, <coughs> excuse me, I think you have missed the boat. If it is still dormant, then you could probably take the risk. OK, hopefully that's helped Donna and hopefully that's helped anybody else that has a Japanese maple. But let's go back to the phones, shall we? And we need to speak to Rosie. And Rosie is in Horsham. Is that right? 
Yes, I still listen to you on the internet. Oh, excellent, Rosie. What a, what, a, what a great advert all the way down uh, there in week. Sussex. You are the best show. You are the best show. Um, anyway, just to answer your, uh, your query about uh, the lady who phoned up about the Purple Rose. Yes, it very much did exist. Yep, OK, it's, excellent. And it's, it was the Bell of the Ball at the Chelsea and all the garden shows about five years ago now. What was and that again? Called, Could, can you say that again? Bell of the Ball. Bell of the Ball. Yes, but it's called Rhapsody in Blue. Ah, yes, okay, yep. And it, it, it's hardy, it, it's absolutely beautiful. It has the yellow centre and very purple flowers round, purple petals. Yep. And it's very, it's very bumptious. It, it's flowers and flowers and flowers. Each time the stress finishes, you cut it back and it will flower again. It's the most beautiful addition to your garden. Fabulous. And you've got one, have you? I've got one. I bought my daughter one. She's south-facing. Yeah. And he just absolutely loves it there. And mine's doing not quite as well as hers, but hers is absolutely beautiful. So in the right spot, uh, and uh, if you feed it reg- regularly with rose feed... Absolutely, as you should do, yeah. watered, <laughs> and it will work its little socks off for you. Fabulous. Rosie, thank you very much for okay. calling... Rhapsody in Blue. Rhapsody in Blue is that purple rose that everybody should buy phoning us all the way from Horsham. Now then, just before we go to the, the travel, I think we've got time quickly to get Rita from Rayleigh in. Rita, you want to talk to us? Is it osteospermums? Yes. How can we help you oh, with yes. your osteos? Um, I have lots of spermums and they're rather bushy. Um, do I cut them back halfway down in March or do I just top them off? Or Um... You can do either if you want to. I mean, most people, when they when they grow osteospermums, <laughs> like to have a nice lot of growth. Um, so I'm just thinking that you it might just be better just to leave them well alone, unless they unless they they you know they're far too big for you. What, yeah, what do you think? They look a bit untidy and. Okay, all right. Well then, yeah. If you, if you think if you think that they're looking a bit ugly and they're not looking too nice for you, then yes, I would give them a bit of a, a bit of a trimming back if you like. Oh, okay. Just the top sort of thing quarter down yes yeah that would be a good idea and obviously if there's any sort of yellowing or, or dead leaves on them then you can quickly oik those off at the same time while you're doing it yeah because i thought if i chopped the tops off they wouldn't flower but oh, they no, would, it, wouldn't this they? this time of year that's that's no problem at all you know if you were to oh. do it if you'd have done it in may then you know it might be a completely different thing but, but it's so early in the year they've still got plenty of time to produce growth that's going to produce all your flowers for you lovely thank you very much for your help Trees, shrubs, fruits and other long-term plants growing in containers will benefit from top dressing with fresh compost. So scrape away the top two to four centimetres, that's a one to one and a half inches of old compost and replace it with fresh. Loam-based John Innes compost number three or a multi-purpose compost with added John Innes are the best choices for these plants. Then mix in some controlled release plant food into the fresh compost and that'll feed the plants throughout spring and summer from just that one application. Plants that have been in their containers for several years may have become pot bound, which could affect their performance and may also need very careful regular watering throughout spring and summer. So it may be worth repotting into the next size pot. If they're already in large pots and you can't move them into even larger ones, it pays to freshen them up. And if you've never thought of it before, now's a good time to install water butts and water collection systems in the garden, 
especially here in dry Essex, and now that the UK enjoys a Mediterranean climate. Collecting and saving water is a great idea, especially if you have a water meter to help keep your bills down. Rainwater is especially useful for acid-loving or ericaceous plants and other plants that dislike tap water, but don't use it for watering seeds, seedlings and young plants, as it can contain organisms that may adversely affect baby plants. And if you already have water butts installed, give them a good cleaning out now to help keep the water fresh. And get a lid if you don't already have one. But let's quickly go back to the phones because we've now got Pete from Colchester. How are you doing, Pete? Okay, thank you. Good. Is there, is there a problem? You've got a broom, okay. Is that, yeah. uh, is that a br hard bristle, soft bristle? I don't know. It's got yellow flowers and it was bought fan-shaped. Oh, one of those brooms. <laughs> and it, it seems to defy the seasons. Okay. It's just started blossoming. I, I pruned it in the autumn about November and uh, it's gone from five foot to seven foot to, you know, and what's happening where I want the screening from the kitchen window Yep. the road yep. it's uh it's going hollow where i want the screen <laughs> if i take two foot off it now will it kill it can i do that um okay um so basically what you're going to need to do is is to take that two foot um below where you want it to regrow yeah. Yeah. So if you if, if you imagine or this is how I'm trying to imagine it, you've got this hole that you're trying to fill. Yes. What you in need other to words, do. The, the light's not getting through from the top to to the middle part. Ah, OK. Sorry. Yeah. OK. I understand. Yeah. Um, does it only flower the once or does it just keep I on flowering? It, it, well, it, it can flower even in the in the autumn as well as the summer. OK. I'm wondering whether you've got something like it's yellow blossom. Yeah, I wonder if you've got a gorse rather right. than a broom. I mean, brooms and gorses are very closely related. In fact, um, uh, the gorse is called the kissing shrub. Right. Because when it's in flower, you can kiss. And, right. it fl and as it fl often flowers throughout the year, it's a way yes. of being able to kiss anybody whenever you like. Yeah. Um, so I would, I would probably wait. Enjoy the flowers as they are now. Yeah. And and then I would probably do your pruning, and then you should um, give it a bit of a feed, give it a little yep. bit of fertilizer to encourage some new uh, regrowth, um, okay. and, and yeah, that'll be fine. You're not going to kill it. No. <laughs> okay, then. Thank you very much. No worries. Thank you, Pete. Thank you for your call. We're going to move to Paul, who's in Coggenshaw next. So, Paul, how can we help you? Hello. Hello. Morning. Uh, please. Yeah. Just uh, uh, two questions, please. I need a bit of help with. Oh, okay. I think we can. I think we can stretch to two for you. That's nice here, thanks. Um, could you tell me how much you take off, cut back off of climbing roses, please? Okay, climbing roses. Um, okay, the the idea should be when you when you buy and plant climbing roses that uh, the initial stems that that grow are going to be what we call the sort of like the main framework branches. And you would train those over the support. So if you've got a piece of trellis, you would um, splay them out and train them into a fan shape, which is the usual yes. and the most yeah. attractive option. And then those are your main branches that are gonna, what we call your framework branches. Yeah. And then any growth that comes off those, those are the ones that are going to flower. Yes. And those are the ones that you cut back. How and much? 
Well, you can cut them back really, really hard. You can cut them back to you know anything up to an inch or two from where they join yeah. the main branches. Interesting. It, All right. Yeah, yeah. Or if you want to do it less because you want to fill in a bit of the support, you can then prune those slightly less, and that will help yeah. to sort of fill in any gaps that you've got. But okay. hard, but hard pruning, like I said earlier about physics, you know, every action equal and opposite reaction. The harder you prune something back, the stronger it regrows and the stronger it flowers. Couple of inches from the main branch. Yep. Okay, thank you. So my second one, please. Um, I've got a clematis. It's been good to us the last few years. Okay. Is it time to cut it back? Well, it depends on which one it is. Do you know when it flowers? Um, is it summer flowering? Got... Yes, yeah, yeah. Okay, yeah, the summer flowering clematis are pruned at, at the same time as your roses. So you can do both at the same time. So both bush roses, climbing roses and clematis yeah. are generally done late February, early March. So, you okay. know, as we've had a bit of a mild weather, you can do it now. Brilliant. Uh, and if it's a early summer, you cut it back by ooh, about a half or a third or two thirds, depending on how much um, of yeah. the support you want to carry on. If it's yeah. a late summer flowering, then you can cut that back even harder to 18 inches, two foot from the ground. Yeah, oh, thanks. Yeah, yeah, oh, uh, oh thanks. Okay. So you're going to be busy. Paul in Coggeshall is going to be very, very busy doing a bit of pruning this weekend. But what about Ray? <clears throat> Ray is in uh, Wenders and Ho. Ray, what about you? Are you going to be busy this weekend? What, what do you want to talk to us about? I am going to be very busy for the next few weeks or so. Oh, um, good. I heard you mention that you're an allotment man. Yeah. And I've got an allotment up in Equiton, but it's too far away from me. So I'm moving everything back down towards me, which is only a mile away. Okay. But there are plants on the allotment I want to transfer to the new place. Okay, that sounds like a, a good idea. Uh, well, yes, but there are two rows of asparagus. Uh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> I don't like the way you said that. <laughs> um, can I, I mean, I might set them back, I know, but I can move them, can't I, now? Provided I've got the bed prepared with... Well, let's 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 put it this way: that that you've got two options. You can either move them or leave them. The plants have got two options. If you move them, they can either live or die. <laughs> yes, well, I don't think uh, as as you buy them more or less in a, in a dry state when you buy asparagus plants, I think they'll probably be all right. So yeah, but you think... buy them; they've been kept in a cold store, and and they've been you know they they are dormant, and you would normally plant them in autumn or, or winter. Be because we're now coming into, we're almost spring and we've had a few spring-like days, they may have already started shooting below ground level, which is going to reduce their success rate. Right. So I, I would say, you know, if it was me being mean, I would say, yes, come on, I, I'm going to dig them up and see what happens. But I right. wouldn't I wouldn't be 100% um, confident that they would all right. grow and they would all do really well. But you might as well give it a go. I I might as well take the, the mean track as well, dig them up, move yeah, them, and I'll never phone you up and blame you. <laughs> thank, right. you thank you. I'm, we're, we're recording this, so we're going to hold you to it. Absolutely. Just make sure that you dig up as, as big a, a clump yeah. as you can. Try and reduce the, the, the soil disturbance to, uh, as much as possible. That sounds like a good idea. All right, Ray, good, good luck, luck with that. And uh, okay, you can send... Thank you, you very much. My, pre my pleasure, and you can send me uh, bunches of asparagus whenever you like. Thank you very much. All right, Teresa. Teresa from Benfleet. How can we help you? Oh, good morning. Um, I've, just, um, I've been wanting a little ice to trade for a while. Um, okay. 
I've just had my drive done, though, but I've left the plot for um, trees or, you know, flowers or bushes out there. And I'm wondering how deep the acer tree roots grow. Would it be a suitable one to plant out in my um, on my front driveway if I've got a little plot there? Or will the roots go under under the new drive I've just had laid? <laughs> so we're, we're talking about a Japanese maple, a little Japanese maple, which we really class as a shrub rather than a tree. Yes. Yeah. Yes, okay. Japanese yeah. maples, you know, the, certainly the ones that um, grow to you know four, five, six feet high and the same across, don't have massive roots. You know, the the root spread is going to be about as much as how uh, wide the plant spreads. So if it's a plant that will grow to six foot wide, the roots are only going to spread about six foot. So you and, and they don't, you know, they don't travel like willow trees. It's not a big tree, so it's not going to cause you any problems. I think you'll be absolutely fine. That's just what I needed to hear. That's lovely. Good, and of course they're, um, they're I mean, lovely I know trees. Obviously, there are different. Sorry, sorry, I was talking. There are different varieties. Is there anything that you could re- recommend? Oh, there are so many. I mean, it all depends on, you know, do you want the big leaf ones or do you want the very fine cut leaf ones? The fine cut leaf ones are a little more tricky to look after. They do like it reasonably shaded. Um, There's a one, one of my favorites is called, now this is Japanese, okay? So it's Arido Nushiki. And that has variegated leaves. So they start off pink. They then change to green and white. They're bright red in autumn. And then they have sort of salmony red stems during the winter months. So it's, it's basically a tree for all year round. And it's absolutely fabulous. And could or, you just say that name one more time? Or, 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 Oridi Nashiki. Just go and ask for Oridi Nashiki. That will do it for you. That's great. Thank you very Good much. Good luck, Teresa. Thank you very much. So, as always, coming to the end of the programme, lots of questions coming in. So we're going to do a few texts just very quickly. And this is a follow-up to my thing about mowing all year round. This is from Jack in Onger. Surely to mow grass now you need a petrol mower. I only have an electric fly mow. Although I do have a circuit breaker. And, of course, if you are going to use any electrical machinery in the garden, you do need to have a circuit breaker to reduce the chances of electrocution. And I'm afraid, uh, Jacques, the answer is no. You don't have to have a petrol mower. Um, I only actually have a battery-operated lawnmower. I don't even have a, 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 an electric one. And it works fine. The idea, of course, is that you're not taking off huge chunks of grass. You are only tipping it because you are doing it on a very, very regular basis. So hopefully that helps. And then finally, we've got Anne. And Anne says, I've got a grapevine covered in ooh, hard brown scale insects. Um, when I took out two old shrubs nearby, they were covered up the stems with the same insects. What can I do? Um, okay. Um, on on uh, non-edible plants, you can spray with, with an insecticide. The one that I would use is Bug Clear Ultra, but it's not approved for use on, vi- on uh, grapevines. There are one or two others, um, such as... Um, Provado or Provanto um, Bug Clear Ultra for fruit and veg. That is the uh, the only one that I would think is, is going to do your um, your scale insects because they are t- difficult and tough things to have a go at. Um, other than that, I'm afraid there isn't an awful lot you can do on scale insects if it's if there's a lot of them and if they're completely covering the grapevine because uh, you know you can't sort of clear them off by hand, which is another way that I would recommend doing it. Thanks very much for listening to the BBC Essex Gardening Hour podcast. 
If you missed any of the answers to the questions we gave, you can download this programme and take it with you on the BBC Sounds app. Don't forget, if you have a gardening question for Ken Crowther, give him a call on 0800 111 40 41 and be part of the programme every Saturday morning on BBC Essex from 11.